we are starting a new sermon series. And you see it there, it's called No Fear. I just need to let this, um, this verse wash over us as sort of a, as we begin this five-week series. It's from Philippians 4. It's super familiar. And the reason it is is that it ministers to so many of us so deeply. So even as we launch into the sermon, let this wash over you. Let the word of God speak to your soul. From Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't just even hearing that scripture minister to you. There's this hope that maybe there's a freedom from the anxiety and the fear that we all deal with on a daily basis. I, you know, I, 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 I thought about doing all of the, the, you know, I did do all the research. I thought about bringing it to you and listing all the statistics of how many of us are struggling with all the things that we're struggling with. I don't even have to. There's no intro to this sermon series. There's no intro to this sermon that's going to help you recognize any more than you already do. Like, oh, this is going to be helpful for me. Because I live with anxiety, I live with fear, there's too many uh, uh, nights that are awake, too many uh, antacids required, too much um, in my head around all of the things that are going on in our life, whether they're outside in the world at large or whether they're in my uh, job and vocation or in my family or in my internal heart, soul, mind. All of us recognize, man, I would long for more peace, less anxiety and less fear. We all have it. We're all dealing with it. Some of us, and we don't all, we're not all afraid of the same stuff. Um, you know, even on the lighter-hearted things, we're not afraid of the same stuff. Like, I'm not one of those guys that's afraid of, like, you know, heights or, you know, going on a ride or, you know, people, you know, like, you're going on a cycling tour? Like, why? Careful of that. And I'm like, it doesn't phase me. Like, it doesn't bother me. You think that it would because my dad was actually a risk manager, I've shared that before. My dad was a safety engineer. So I, growing up, knew exactly whatever I was doing. I knew the percentages of the odds of me actually losing a limb or an eye in that in particular event. Like I knew that was my dad. Like he raised me knowing all that kind of stuff. But the funny part about that was, and so it sort of, you'd think that it would have made me this sort of, you know, like, careful, that's dangerous, you know, like pointy objects, you know, like it didn't, it did the opposite to me. And I think it's because my dad's so funny. I don't know why he was like this as a safety engineer or a risk manager, but he was the opposite of a fearful person. Like my dad's a guy who's like, hey, why don't, uh, he's, why don't you drive up to the, uh, the trailer we had at Lake Berryessa pulling the boat to go water skiing? I'm like 11, you know, or I'm 13. He's like, why don't you drive? And I'm like, because I'm a child, that's why. <laughs> 14 years old, he's like, nope, it's time, let's go. I pulled the boat with the family station wagon up to Lake Berryessa, 14 my dad's over in the passenger side, window down, arm out, no seatbelt, smoking a cigarette. Like, life's so great. So I didn't really get the fear gene around that kind of stuff. My, the, my best story about my dad, the, the, well, we were painting our own house, of course, paint your own house. And the ladder, we lived on the hill in the Oakland Hills. And so on the back side of the house, two-story house, big hill, super high. So the big ladder we had didn't reach all the way that we couldn't get up underneath the eaves. On the de- really, see, some of you are like, oh, geez. 
Couldn't reach underneath the eaves, so we're looking at that, and my dad's like, oh, I got an idea. So he took the garden hose, and he looped it through the belt loops of my jeans. He had a master's in safety science or something. <laughs> wrapped it around his waist, wrapped it around the chimney, lit a cigarette, and was like, go over the side. <laughs> Lowered me down so that I could paint underneath, swinging in the eaves. People hear that story, they're like, there's no way that's true. And Ed, I promise you it is true. And then they say, there's no way he didn't go to parent jail. Like how <laughs> did the authorities let him raise you? <laughs> so I'm not about that kind of stuff, but man, but here's, I'm not afraid of heights. I'm not afraid of those kind of danger things, but I'm afraid of elevators. Is that weird? <laughs> like we all have some of that stuff in us even, like um, elevators. I'm not afraid of falling. Are you afraid of crashing? Anybody afraid of elevators? Anybody an elevator person? It came at me later in life. Like, I was never afraid of elevators. It came. But I'm not afraid of, like, crashing, like, the dropping part. Like, I figure, because I'm going to do that weird super, you know, like, you know, the superhero thing. Like, right before it hits the ground, I'm going to jump up in the air. You know, I'll be fine. So I'm not afraid of the elevator crashing to the ground. I don't like being in the elevator with all of you people. <laughs> Can you relate? Do you relate to that? It's a, it's a claustrophobia thing. With all the bodies and all the people, I think to myself, if we got stuck in here like a bad episode of Friends or whatever, like if we got stuck in this thing for the 22 minutes, we, I wouldn't be able to, like I wouldn't be able to get enough oxygen. And so, and it actually happened because I was in Boston with some friends and we were walking from Fenway Park to a, an apartment of friends of theirs in an old brownstone in Boston and we got in one of these little teeny tiny little, you know, elevators um, that said, you know, maximum person's three people, and the maximum weight was like 400 pounds or something like that, whatever the number was. And I'm with, some of you guys know Bob Bersari, and he's like two, two and a quarter, and Kathy, who's like 60 pounds wet. And then, but me and Tommy and Linda's five people, and they're like, oh, let's get in the elevator. And I'm like, oh, I don't think this is a good idea. Sure enough, it gets stuck. But I'm like this with the other people. And it was a June night, we'd walked two miles from Fenway Park and we were all sweaty and anybody with claustrophobia feeling it right now? And I felt this thing come up on me and I'm like, oh, so this is what a panic attack is. I'd never had one before. And my heart started beating. I couldn't get it to go down. And so I was just doing this, go to my happy place, go to my happy place. And I'm like, I'm always the solver in those problems, but I'm like, you people take care of this because I have to deal with what's going on here. It was not Okay. So I'm like in the back, just trying not to pass out. And they pick up the phone and they're like, hey, uh, we're stuck in an elevator. And they're like, great, well, where are you? And the answer was, uh, we don't know. Because we were at a friend's house and we didn't know the address. We didn't know the, like, and the guy's like, well, how are we going to find you? And I'm like, well, I'm going to start screaming real loud soon. So, yeah. We got all kinds of funny stuff like that in our lives, odd little things that we're scared of heights or we've got little phobias and, and some of them are big, more than, than little, but, you know, but everyone, all humans deal with, you know, I started asking myself the question as I was processing this, like, what are we really afraid of? What are we really afraid of? Because this isn't about elevators, and although I have bypassed some elevators since, since that time and gone the stairs, but it's not really elevator. Like, but what are the deepest things? What am I, what's my soul afraid of? And I think that in some way, shape, or form, we're probably all afraid of the same stuff, and, and I am. I think we're afraid of being, um, that we're, we're fearful that we're not going to be safe or healthy, right? Physically safe. 
in our world, in our environment, in our bodies, that, that we're not going to be safe. We're fearful that we're not going to maybe have enough. That's that, the fear of scarcity. That this year, or in my career, or for retirement, or, and whether that's my emotional tank, or my bank account, or that I'm not going to have enough. What if I don't have enough to bring to this dynamic? What if I'm not going to provide for my kids? What if I can't pay for them to go to college? What if, what if I don't have enough? Or, and as I already alluded to, what if I'm personally not enough? What, do I want, what if I don't have enough? What if I'm not going to be able to be enough for my loved ones, for my job, for what's required of me, or even of God? This core question of, I, I don't think I'm, I'm fearful of not being enough. I think everybody I've ever talked to has had some version of those fears built into their lives, that they're not going to be safe, that they're not going to have enough, but they're not going to be enough. And those get embedded deep in our souls. And we live out of them in fear. And against all of this, and, and you know, you can translate those into yourself. I'm not going to have a, 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 enough. I'm not going to be enough. I'm not going to be safe. Whatever your particular fears or phobias are about. But against all of that, the scripture comes with this thing and says, don't be anxious about anything. And it's incumbent upon us to go, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Is that hope really true? And we actually have to then look and say, how in the world would Scripture teach that? Why could it teach that? What's it getting at that in the face of all the things that we live with, our fears and anxieties, the Scripture would say, don't be anxious about anything, but the peace of God can come. So this series, we're going to spend some time looking at that and figuring out how and why could the Scriptures talk like that uh, in spite of all it is that we feel and, and deal with in our lives. This is this introductory sermon this morning. The rest of the time I have, I wanna, I'm just calling it Fear, Anxiety, and the Word of God. Because we need to get into the Word of God to see what it is that the Word of God is going to teach us about Scripture. I have 11 pages of notes from my study this week, single-handed, written out. I looked at every single verse that in the Greek or the Hebrew talks about fear, courage, afraid, uh, take heart. And I wrote down as much stuff as I could get. And here's the interesting thing. Out of all of the places that Scripture talks about fear and courage and all that stuff, it basically teaches, if I could kind of sum it up, it teaches two things. And so you get a two-point sermon as we look at fear, anxiety, and the Word of God. And both of them are happen to be in this particular text in Zephaniah. And, um, you, you know, your favorite book, Zephaniah. And uh, the context is that this is a prophecy of how messed up Judah's life was Jerusalem, southern Israel in the, in the time of the, the uh, kings. And, uh, but this is the prophecy of God saying, and as messed up as things are, one day here's what's going to happen. And in other words, it's a picture for us of what God brings. And he says, sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel, meaning, you know, God's people. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord's taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. And these hard times are going to be behind us, he's saying. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you, what? Fear any harm. There's no fear. You don't need to be fearful, the Lord says. The Lord, the King of Israel, is what? What does it say in the top line? Is with you. You never again will have to fear. On that day, verse 16, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear God's people, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. And look at this last verse. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. 
In his love, he'll no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. That's the word of the Lord. Isn't that sweet? In this verse, it's, it's a perfect example, and I could have picked a ton of perfect examples about the two things that Scripture teaches about fear and the Word of God, about fear and anxiety, and they're both in here, and one of them is that God loves us, and the other one is that God is with us in power. Do you see it in here? We're going to parcel those in a sec, but if you see them in, this, in these Scriptures, the Lord of God is with you, the mighty warrior, the God of power who saves. He takes great delight in you. There's the love. And in his love, he'll no longer be rebuking you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. I love the tender picture of that. He loves us and he's with us. And this is what the word of God teaches. Two points. One, we're loved. And I know you're like, wow, great insight, Jeff. Really? How long did it take you to come up with that big, smart, like I saw that on the, you know, John 3.16 sign at the football game, right? I mean, we're loved. But it isn't just that we're like some sort of a, of a warm, fuzzy love. Here's the concept. The concept this is what Scripture teaches. 1 John 4, 18. There's no fear in love. Let's think about that phrase for a second. There's no fear in love. Interesting. Because perfect love drives out fear. Why? What does it say next? Because fear has to do with punishment. So the one who fears is not made perfect in love. What's the connection here between fear and love? We fear when, we, that when love is not the dominant part of the equation, when there's some sort of retribution, when there's some sort of uh, punishment that happens. And this, of course, is talking about our context of our relationship with God. And the good news is those of us that are in Jesus, those of us that are in Christ, have no fear of punishment from God. So we don't go through life going, geez, I hope I did enough good things or stuff's going to happen to me. Or I hope I did enough stuff that I'm kind of on God's good side this week so junk doesn't come down in my life. We don't live as people of fear with some sort of a, of a relationship with an angry, scary God that we hope that we're not making too mad at us. That's not the relationship we have in Christ. Romans 8.1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ. The wrath of God, the punishment of God, the rebuke of God, the distance from God, the separation from God, all of that has been removed in Christ. And so what we experience, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we celebrated it last week at Easter, we experience a relationship with a loving Father who is for us. So we experience God's love. There's no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. We don't have any punishment is the point of this. And so any kind of lies that we may be tempted to believe around the idea that we don't deserve God taking care of us, so all my fears are warranted, because God may not take care of me, because why would he look at me, or why would he, he's God and I'm here on earth, that's bunk, because God is with us, sees us, loves us, delights in us, rejoices over our life in his songs. Isn't that beautiful? He loves you, and there's no fear of punishment. And so part of what ministers to us in this fear and anxiety is that God will not withhold that love from us for any reason because of what Jesus did. That's where you say right now, like, yeah, that's an amen. I'll give amen to that. Now, in case you thought it was just sort of a transactional love or sort of love in general, look at this. Look how specific this is, this call. But now, Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob... He who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I've redeemed you. 
I've summoned you by name, and you are mine. Isn't that beautiful? The word says there's no fear in this kind of love, and it isn't just a general love. It's a very specific. This is a God who, look at the words, look at the verbs. He created you, and he formed you. Formed is a more intimate word than created. He created, he created all human beings, and he created you out of nothing. I mean, this is a majorly creative God, but he also formed you. Remember Psalm 139? He formed you while you were in your mother's womb. He knit you together. You're fearfully and carefully made who you were going to become and what you're about. Like, this God knows you and loves you and was like, I want you to be like this the DNA, every strand. He created you. He formed you. In the middle of that, he's like, so listen, don't fear, right? This is going to minister to your fear. I created you. I formed you. And then he goes further. I've redeemed you. I've, that's, I've rescued you from separation from God. And I've summoned you by name. I've called you into a relationship with me. You could actually even translate that. I've wooed you. I've drawn you in. I've captured your heart. This is the God who loves us. In the face of all that we're fearing, we apply this truth. This God loves us so much that there's no punishment involved in this relationship because of what Christ has done. And beyond that, he created you, he formed you, he redeemed you, he wooed you, and he called you his own, said, you're mine. You're mine, my team, you're on my team. You're my family. Man, that is powerful. Summoned you by name. So this is what the scripture teaches. No fear in this kind of love. So we apply those truths to the things that we deal with. Do you remember our friend Lori Polich who, who preached maybe a year and a half ago? We had a book of hers out here that we gave away. Um, incredible uh, pastor, friend of ours from Santa Barbara. And uh, she's actually preaching again in June. If you remember Lori and you enjoyed that, she's preaching, I think, June 24th. Um, but she, part of her story, she tells this story about longing to be married. Longing from a little time as a little girl to create a family, to have a husband, to be loved uh, in that kind of an intimate relationship. And as she went through her uh, adult life, as it unfolded, relationships weren't working out. She wasn't, didn't have opportunity. It's just a long story. But as each marker hit as, you know, 18 and people had boyfriends and 22, and all the girls graduating from a Christian school were getting engaged, so that, you know, that whatever that they call that weird phenomenon. <laughs> 25, then the markers, 30, 35, 40, 45. This wasn't about being married, and it had long ceased been a, I need a man to make me complete. It was a spiritual depth inside. Her fear was, God doesn't see me, doesn't know my heart, and doesn't care. Enrooted in our fears is this thought, does he care? Does he see me? And she had a long journey. And the end of the story is not like, yay, look, I got married, which she happens to be. But that's not her story. The story at the end is, look how God captured my heart, that this is what life is about. This is a God who created me and formed me and redeemed me and captured my heart, called me his own by name. He knew my longings all along. And the circumstances created all kinds of anxiety. She waited longer than she wanted to, to be married. And she knew that she could have gone her whole life without being married because in the end, being seen by God was what ministered to her soul. This is what scriptures teach about fear and anxiety. It says we're loved. And there's no fear. And it's intimate. And God sees you and knows your heart. Somebody in this room 
is being ministered to right now from that truth. He knows where you are. And he knows your longings. He knows the fears around those things. He knows the anxiety that it creates for your safety, your health. That maybe you're not going to have enough. Maybe you're feeling like you're not going to be enough. He sees you. And there's no separation if you're in Christ. And he loves you in an intimate way. Man, that's good news. That's what scriptures teach all the way through. His love will cover you. His love will be with you. His love, his love. Second thing the scripture teaches, and I alluded to it, that he's with us. And he's with us in power. He loves us and he's with us. Sorry, don't know where that's from. It's just Jesus, Jesus telling all of us to pay attention. He's with us, and he's with us in power. Look at this. We've got to go return to this text. This is such a great text. This is Moses in Exodus, and this is after they've been delivered from Egypt. They've come across the Red Sea, and if you remember the story, they come across, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> they come across the Red Sea, and immediately it's like, whoa, look at all the miracles that God did, and then it says, and then they arrived at the desert of Shur. They were in the desert. That's where they ended up, right after all the miracles. We don't ever deal with our fear and anxiety when we're coming through the miraculous time. That's sweet. It's the deserts where we begin to wonder and where it overtakes us. They're in the desert. They're three months in the desert. Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's having a conversation with God, and he says this to him. He says, Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you've not told me whom you will send with me. This is a great phrase. He's like, listen, um, you know that thing about this epic call you've put me in, uh, on me? You know this thing, like whatever you're facing, whatever you're facing, you know that thing where I'm dating again? Or you know that thing where I'm, I'm raising kids? Or you know that thing where I'm about to quit my job and start a company? Or you know that thing, God, where all the math's not adding up and we don't know how we're going to make it? Or you know that thing where I'm already 61, I have no constant time, I'm going to retire? Like, like, what, like whatever you're facing, like whatever God's brought you to, this is what Moses, he's like, so you know that thing where you told me to be your leader? He goes, um, me and what army? What army? Like, who are you sending? You see what he says? You didn't even told me who's going to go with me because you can't possibly be talking just about me facing this situation. Like, who are you going to go send with me in this thing? And this, he goes, and Moses, look at Moses. He's already getting himself into the place. He's rehearsing the truth. He goes, you've said, I know you by name and that you've found favor with me. Like, you've told me that. You see how he's already been understanding what God has said? He's already been paying attention to the word of God. Because I know you've said this, that you know me, you love me, you know me my name, you found favor with me. Verse 13 there. If you're pleased with me, then teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And then he goes, and remember that this nation is your people. That's a great prayer. Whenever God puts you up against something that's creating anxiety for you, you just put it back on him. You tell him it's his fault. You're like, you gave me this, this, this kid. You... You gave me this job, Lord. Like, you got to remember that I didn't, I didn't want it and you gave it to me. It's actually a pretty good prayer. We're calling the Lord out on his own reputation, on his own glory, friends. I followed you here, Lord. Who are you going to send with me? Teach me your way so that we can do this thing because I don't think I can do this alone. And remember that it was your idea. And look where it goes. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Right back to that first verse we looked at, that you'll find rest for your souls. You'll find experience the peace of God that we looked at 
and don't be anxious about anything, but as you interact and have a relationship with God by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God will come that will transcend understanding. This is what it's saying. He goes, listen, Moses, I hear you and my presence will go with you. I'm not sending you an army. I'm not sending you an angel. I'm not sending you a savior. I'm, I'm sending you, I'm gonna be with you. My presence will be with you and it will bring rest. I love Moses. He said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. And Moses took it all in and he's like, that's what we need. We need you to be with us, God, as we face these things that are creating anxiety and fear, the unknown. Enemies behind us, un- desert in the middle of us, and unknown ahead. Don't, don't make me go this journey if your presence isn't going to go. He didn't know how that was going to get solved. And the Lord's like, I'm telling you how it's going to be solved. My presence will go with you. And Moses is like, that's it. That's it. That's what I need. And don't send me if you're not going to go with me. If you're not going to go with me, all is lost. All, don't send me without you going with me because then I've got nothing. How will anyone know, he goes on to say, if you're pleased with me and your people, unless you go with us, what's going to distinguish me from, from your people and all the other people on the face of the earth? It's a great question. He's like, listen, that's just like everybody. We're people that are in Christ. We're people that have committed our lives to you. We're people who trust in your sovereignty. We're people who are putting our faith in you, Jesus. Like, don't send us from here without you and your presence. Because well, what are we going to have? I'm going to be lost. I'm going to, it's like, I need you. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. See the love? He loves us and he's present with us. In fact, he says, my presence will go with you. And we resonate with, yeah, that's good, God. Because if you don't go with us up from here, don't send us. Don't let me face this without you. It'll be a disaster. This is what the word of God is teaching about fear and anxiety, that he loves us and he will be present with us and he'll be present with us in power. You know, the power, the power part of it, as Paul praying for the Ephesians says, I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those who believe. You're like, wow, that's a lot of words. I can't track with it. I know. Here's the thing. Paul says, listen, this is what I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you three things. There's all kinds of things I could pray for you about, but I'm going to pray for you three things. One, I want you to understand this hope in Jesus that you're saved and loved and redeemed. It's awesome. And I want you to understand the glorious riches awaiting you that we're going to be in eternity with him forever. Because you got Jesus, you got heaven. And then what does he say last? You have an incomparably great, what? Power. He goes, I got three things to tell you. You got Jesus, you got heaven, and you got God's with us is a powerful with us. Then he goes on to talk about this power. He said that power is like the power he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all authority, power, and dominion. He's like, listen, that power, the power I'm talking about, the power that I want you to awaken to is raise the dead kind of power. It's transformation kind of power. It's change the stuff that's broken kind of power that you don't have the power to do yourself kind of power. That's our hope. What does church teach? What does scriptures, the word of God teach us about all that? The word of God teaches us that we're loved and that he's present with us 
and he's present with us in power. I could, and you can see I skipped through some slides, I could talk about how do we put that into practice. We'll have five weeks, four more weeks to talk about some of this stuff. But church, knowing it, that it's what the word is teaching us is the beginning of us being transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we encounter the truth of the texts. We encounter the truth of the full counsel of the word of God that only teaches two things. He loves us and he's with us in power. Those two things are how we face the anxiety and the fear that we're facing and what we're going through. And as we reflect, meditate, memorize on those truths, and by the way, in addition to that, some of us need great, all of us, I think, need great spiritual friendship, conversation about these things. Some of us need great therapy, I mean it, and some of us need some meds with some of the fears and anxieties we're dealing with. But all of that combined with the power of the word of God, because it isn't just God's word, it's the God of the text who says, I am the mighty warrior who goes with you. And we can face whatever comes, even your greatest fears. He loves us and he's with us. I just got to have show you this last verse of that Moses text. When the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to do the very thing you ask because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Moses asks a really interesting thing. He goes, okay. It's like he paused and he looked at it all and he goes, bring it on. Then show me your glory, God. Show me the stuff you do that will blow my doors off. Show me how magnificent you are and how powerful you are because as I face this anxiety and the fear and the stuff ahead, the, as I said, the, the enemies behind in the desert right where I'm at and the, the unknown in the future, don't send me without you and then show up for me in glory. Bigger than I can imagine. Way more powerful than I can muster. More than the resources that I could ever figure out how to employ on my own. God, show me your glory. Show up in a God-sized way or I'm lost. And that, friends, is what we do when we read the truth of the word of God. We come as worshiping people and bow down before him and say, God, sh- come on. Show us your glory, God. We need you to face this stuff that we're up against. So the word says we're loved and he's with us in power and the worshiping response is to say, then come, then come. Then come, I'm gonna lean into that and depend on that. 